words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. I want to start with a simple story, a simple, it's a, it's a fable, it's an ancient fable. It's one of Aesop's fables. It's called uh, The Lion and the Four Oxen. And uh, if you don't remember this, this story, you certainly, I guarantee you, know the, the punchline, the maxim, the, uh, the moral of the story. The fable goes like this. It's a simple story of, of a lion who is, is um, prowling around this field. He continually prowls around this field where there are four oxen that dwell there. And these oxen work together. They warn each other when the lion is coming. And they stand together against the lion so that wherever the lion tries to attack, he's met with some horns. He's just not able to penetrate uh, their, their defenses. And so um, eventually, however, the oxen start fighting among themselves. And they begin to take corners of the field, and they go off separately to their corners. And, of course, the story goes that the lion is able then to attack them one by one and make an end of all of them. And the, the, the moral is, the punchline is, united we stand, divided we fall. That goes back to Aesop's uh, fable there. And I thought about that because um, in this letter to Philippians that we read, Paul the Apostle is urging the Christians there to stand together for the sake of the gospel, to pursue unity. In fact, he says, it's not in our section printed in the bulletin, but a little earlier in chapter 1, verse 27, he says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, he's writing from prison, so he's saying, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear uh, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So what's happening in Philippi at this time is that uh, the, the community, the church, is, is facing uh, threats from without, and division within. And so he wants to, to encourage them, to exhort them to stand, stand together. The external pressure came from just being part of the Roman Empire, part of that culture. They were, Philippi was a military outpost. And so the people there, I've read, were very loyal. The citizens were fiercely loyal to the emperor. And, of course, during those times... Uh, Citizens of Rome had to uh, be part of, they had to participate in emperor worship, be part of the cult of the emperor. Uh, they were, were uh, pressured to confess that Caesar is Lord and Savior, and the Christians couldn't do that. The Christians couldn't bow to the emperor, and the Christians could only say, Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is our Savior. And so that put them, obviously, in tension with their surrounding culture. Um, they also uh, faced opposition from, 
from with not opposition, but difficulty from with, within because as you read Philippians, it becomes clear that there's false teaching that's starting to make inroads into this church, and it's dividing up the community. And then Paul talks about uh, just attitudes that are just plain old sinful attitudes that we all have to deal with no matter what situation we're in, like pride and selfish ambition and, um, and, a, and a lack of humility selfishness, all these things that were fomenting division. And into this situation, Paul, who's writing from prison, and he has a deep love and affection and pastoral heart to the people at Philippi, and he's thinking about the end of his life, and he's saying, stand together for the sake of the gospel in, in the face of this opposition and these divisions. You need to be together to pursue this unity that God has given you. Now, our situation, of course, is not like, exactly like the, the people went through at Philippi. I mean, they, they were facing a much more hostile culture than we do. But we all understand that as Orthodox Christians, as biblical Christians, we're in tension with a lot of the prevailing morals and beliefs of our culture, and there is pressure on us. There is pressure to conform not as bad as it was in Philippi. It's not as bad as it is in other parts of the world. At our 9 o'clock service, we had a lady here who was from Qatar in the Middle East. And after church, I talked to her a little bit about her experience. And I said, what church do you go to? And she said, well, in Qatar, we're all together as Christians. And the government allows us to meet, but they monitor us very closely. And so we're not in Qatar. We're not in um, in. In, in Philippi under the Roman Empire, but we are in a culture where we experience that tension. A call is to stand together. And uh, thank God our church is not dealing with internal factions and disunity, but it's something we always need to work for to preserve the unity, to strengthen the unity that we have in Christ. And so I want to look at how Paul what Paul says here, in order to exhort this community to to spiritual unity. I want to look at how he describes this unity and then how Christ is a model for us and then I think what is the primary application of this, this passage for us today. So first of all, the description of this unity. He starts in verse 1, if there's any encouragement, these are, this is a rhetorical device here, like a rhetorical question. Uh, but he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, he knows that they've been encouraged by Christ. But if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So he starts by appealing to their common experience of the love of God, the encouragement of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. He appeals to their common experience of God and his goodness. You've experienced these things. And then he goes on and he appeals to his relationship with this church when he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. This is the description of the unity here. The same mind, the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So that is the kind of unity Paul says you ought to have based on the unity you already have in Christ, through the Spirit, and the love of God, and the relationship that we share, now safeguard this unity and continue to grow in it. 
And then he describes what he's talking about here. I just want to unpack some of these, these phrases here. Being of the same mind. Is he saying, I want you to think exactly alike? Everybody needs to be in lockstep agreement with one another? No, I don't think he's saying that at all. Um, this word, mind, here, that's, that's, this word that's translated mind here, is, is pretty all-encompassing. It includes, yes, it includes thinking, but it also includes the affections. It includes feeling. It includes emotions, our affections for one another. So I, I don't think he's saying, I want you guys to all think the same thoughts. Of course not. But the way that you think about things, in, especially when there are differences of opinion, you need to have the same approach the same way of thinking about things, which is, as he goes on to say, the mind of Christ. As you wrestle with these issues, as you think about it together, put on the mind of Christ. And that's what will grow the unity of the church. Okay. And he says, uh, being in full accord, being in full accord, and once again, I don't think he's thinking of a, of a lockstep uniformity. But underneath these words is the sense of being unified spiritually, having the same spirit. In fact, that's how the NIV translates this, being of one spirit. So this is about, you could say, dispositions, habits of the heart and the mind. This is how... You're to develop your, your unity, having these sorts of dispositions and, and habits of the heart and mind, which is ultimately connected to the mind of Christ, spiritual unity. It's about how we think about things together. It's about how we feel towards one another. It's the attitudes that undergird our relationships with each other. So this is a very deep kind of unity, you know. You, you can think about different ways that people are connected today. People are connected today through organizations. There's organizational unity. You work for the same company or you belong to the same club, and there's a connection there. There's unity. And, of course, that's a valid and important type of unity. But what he's talking about is much deeper than that. There's geographical unity. We are united all in this room, we're united together uh, geographically because we belong to the same, we're part of the same geographical area, city. There's even, of course, uh, there's, there's one of the deepest forms of unity, which is family unity. But the unity that he's talking about transcends all that, <laughs> even family ties. It, it's even deeper than, than family ties. I mean, those of us who have family members in, or members of our family who aren't brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a painful reality, but oftentimes we feel a greater disconnect with them at a deep core level than we do with members who are brothers and sisters in, in Christ, members of the church. This is a, this is a unity that transcends uh, other forms of unity, I believe. And one of the joys of being a Christian, and I think we've all probably experienced this, is to meet a brother or sister in Christ, and, and as you begin to talk to them, maybe they're from a different church background, maybe they are from a different culture, 
they're from a different economic status, but as you began to talk with them, you, di- you, you discern that there's this kindred spirit, uh, which is the spirit of Christ, and there's this deep connection with that person. And maybe you just met them, but you already sense that you're my brother, you're my sister. And that's one of the joys, uh, one of the great joys of being part of the family of God. So Paul is saying, protect this unity that is already there in Christ through the work of God in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Protect it and grow in it. And this is how you do it, or rather, this is how, this, these are the things you have to avoid, um, the attitudes that you need to avoid. In verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Nothing from rivalry. You know, if you think of somebody in the church as a rival, <laughs> obviously you're, there's going to be distance there. There's not going to be unity. Avoid rivalry. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. And, and the, the image here behind that word is of an opinionated person who is pretty loud about their opinions. They're pretty assertive about their opinions. They might not even have good reasons for their opinions, but they're going to make their opinions known, and they're going to be aggressive and assertive about it. And Paul is saying, don't operate that way. Don't act, don't speak, don't do anything with those attitudes operating in your heart and mind, rivalry and conceit. Instead, operate from a place of humility. But in humility, count others more significant than you. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. He doesn't mean that you should think of yourself as insignificant. Nobody is insignificant in the eyes of God. We are created in the image and likeness of God. No person is insignificant in the eyes of God. He's saying, though, I want you to consider others and put their needs ahead of yours. There's a a, a saying that I'm sure you've probably heard, many of you have heard at least, that I, that I like to refer to time, from time to time. And uh, it's true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. <laughs> true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of your lo- yourself less. So Paul goes on and says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. So these are the attitudes that that we need to have to grow in spiritual unity. And then he begins to describe, or rather he unfolds and explains how Christ embodied those kinds of virtues that make for humility and, and uh, spiritual unity. Christ embodied uh, in a perfect way. He is the perfect picture of, of humility, of sacrificial love, self-giving love, and humility. He says, verse 5, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Love how Paul reminds us, listen, you already have the resources here. Just use what God has given you. Um, Lean into this. Grow in this. Have the mind of Christ, which is yours. You have it in Jesus Christ who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, 
And there's no greater example of humility than his death on the cross. He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross, a criminal's cross, a shameful way to die, so shameful that the Romans wouldn't even utter or talk about the cross. It was a shameful, degrading way to die. And Christ did this out of obedience to the Father and out of love for us. And so he lifts Christ up as this great example, the perfect example of self-giving love. I want to make a couple points about verses 6 and 7 because, well, because I studied it quite a bit (laughs) this week, and uh, there's a lot of ink that's spilt on these verses, and uh, it's just interesting from a theological point of view. So if, uh, if you're not inclined to wrestle with theological issues, I'm sorry, but I'm going to delve in just a, just a touch. But don't make your grocery list in your mind. Try to stick, stick with me here. But first of all, when Paul writes here um, in verse 6 that Jesus was in the form of God, some people see that and they think, well, is, is Paul saying that Jesus only appeared like God in God-like form? And... Um, If you delve into this a little bit, you can see that the word here that he uses for form has the idea, this idea that the essence or a character of a thing is being conveyed through outward appearance. So sometimes we say that a picture or a painting captures the essence of a person. Their their character is shining through. This outward expression captures something of the essence or the character of a person and I think that's what Paul is saying by using that word he's saying something like Christ in his humanity is revealing to us in human form the character the nature the essence of God so it's not a low Christology here I think it's pretty high Christology and the second point I want to make is I um, I don't think that when Paul says Christ emptied himself I don't think he's saying, and and he took on the form of a servant, I don't think he's saying Christ emptied himself in spite of the fact that he was one with God or equal with God. As if what Christ did by becoming a servant and sacrificing his life is somehow against the nature of God. I, I, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying precisely because Christ is one with God, he shows us the nature of God, which is not a grabbing, getting nature. It's a giving, a pouring out in sacrificial love nature. Not hanging on to my prerogatives, but giving myself out of love. Not about selfish snatching, but self-giving love. Uh, I I think that's what Paul is is getting at in verses 6 and 7. That's the conclusion I came to. But you can wrestle with it yourself. There's a lot written about it. But I I think the application is clear in verse 5. Here's the application for the Philippians. Here's the application for us. As we think about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, as we think about what Christ did for us, have this mind that was in Christ, have it in you. Have this mind in you, the same mind that was in Christ. Um, Work this life out, this life of salvation out, he says in verse 12 with fear and trembling. And as you do that, realize that it's God at work in you, enabling you to will and do 
for his good pleasure. We need the grace of God to be able to live this way, um, not assertive and aggressive, um, not always insisting on my way or my point of view, but from a place of humility, listening to others. And that's really hard to do because it goes against our nature, and some of us more than others. My mom used to say to me, Benny? You guys, you can't call me Benny. My mom can call me Benny. <laughs> but she would say, Benny, you would argue with the Lord himself if he was here. Because <laughs> we used to argue about the Bible together and Scripture. Um, and so we need the grace of God to sometimes, from a place or always from a place of humility, to listen to other people, to grow together. And that requires having the mind of Christ. And, uh, of course, this works very well for family life and marriage as well, these principles, considering the other person and uh, approaching the relationship and operating in the relationship from a place of humility. But it takes the mind of Christ, and um, we have to watch out if we're starting to disconnect from the mind of Christ. I saw a thing on TV this week. It was a um, one of these kind of inspiring news features. It was about the news director for this local station. Maybe some of you saw this as well. This news director uh, for the 10 a.m. news on one of the local stations uh, was paralyzed, is paralyzed. And um, it was inspiring because in spite of his paralysis, he still goes to work every day. He does the therapy. He's pushing through, and he's able to do his job. But what happened was a part of his... Um, it was a herniated disc that broke off and punctured his spine. And he had surgery, and when he, when he came to, he was, the doctor said, you're, you're, you're paralyzed. And so he's in a wheelchair. And so, um, again, he, it was inspiring just because he, of his perseverance. But as I thought about that story, I remembered that, of course, the spinal cord is necessary, that connection between the brain and the rest of the body. Um, the spinal cord receives messages from the brain, from the head, so that the rest of the body can function properly. And when that's cut off, the body's not going to function the way it's supposed to. And our connection as the body of Christ is with with him. He's the head. We're to put on the mind of Christ. And when we get disconnected from Christ, we don't function the way that God intended us to function. So we always have to maintain that connection. I think that happens through... I know it happens through prayer. That's a primary form of connection to the mind of Christ, personal prayer, corporate prayer, worship, corporate worship, um, taking communion. The Lord's Supper is a way for us to connect to our head, to the mind of Christ. All these spiritual disciplines that are means of grace and ways for us to connect to Christ so that we can stand together. Um, in a strong in a strong way. Think about the things that create disunity in a local church. If you've been around church for a while, you've seen it. What are some of the things that create disunity in the local body? Uh, disagreements over uh, doctrinal issues that aren't central doctrinal issues, secondary issues, okay? You know, not the things that are clearly stated in Scripture or that we, that we recite in the creeds, but secondary issues sometimes can create factions and divisions over issues that were, you know, Christians can honestly disagree about these things and how you apply them because it's not clear in Scripture. Uh, that can create division. 
there's, a, of course, disagreement over, oftentimes, worship and liturgy and how we're to express that in the church, and that can create division. Disagreement over mission and programs and leadership. There's just a whole host of reasons why these things can happen, these divisions can happen. But underneath them all, this is all a symptom of a larger issue, I think, oftentimes, and that is an attitude, a lack of humility, an unwillingness to listen and to have the mind of Christ. And so that's what we need to continue to pursue. I am grateful that we have unity in this church. Let's safeguard what God has given us. Let's remain strong, stand strong together for the spiritual health of the church, for the sake of the gospel. Amen. Amen. Lord, I do thank you that we, we enjoy this a season of harmony and unity around you. I thank you that we enjoy that in our leadership as a vestry. I thank you that there are deep and loving relationships here in this body. And I pray, God, that you would help us to continue to grow in that so that we could be a witness to a watching world, God, where this kind of unity uh, that transcends race and culture and class this can be modeled for the world that is, is desperate for harmony and unity between people. It is a gift that you have given us as a church, and we praise you and we thank you, and we pray that you would help us to safeguard it. For Christ's sake and his glory, amen.